Ten years ago, Taylor Swift was between albums. She'd released Red the year before in 2012, and in 2014, she would put out 1989. Ten years ago, Corey Seager was still a teenager, and the Texas Power Rangers were a decade away from winning their very first World Series in franchise history. Ten years ago, the Dow Jones shot up a remarkable 26% in 2013 and ended at 16,500, half of what it is today. The iPhone turned six, and it was that year that Apple introduced Apple TV and Apple Radio, which is a forerunner to Apple Music, which would come two years later. And you could buy a share of Apple stock for $17 in 2013. Oh, and Warren became our Minister of Music 10 years ago. <laughs> Warren is a great man of God. That's a word that all of us as men would like to hear. His relationship with the Lord is real and genuine and contagious. Warren is industrious. I call him MacGyver because he can do anything. <laughs> he leads us well in worship, and, and that is a challenge with so many different preferences in music, and he definitely has the hardest job on staff. He's a delight to work with, always cooperative, always willing to step in, always willing to help, even if it's way outside the purview of his job description. And plus, he's the only guy I know who has two brothers named Lee. And he's named Lee, too. It's a family deal. And Evelyn, it is so great to have you here today. I was hoping to get over there and hug you before, but we didn't get the chance to do that. But it's good to have you here. Always an honor. And I know you're very proud of your son, and you should be, because he's done a wonderful job. And Ten years ago, came here with two teenagers. Now they're married and expecting kids, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> it's great to have you, Josh, playing the drums, Lauren in the choir. Gosh, you guys were 16 and 13 when you came. Mm, how life has changed. Well, this Sunday, rotating off of daylight saving time is always a challenge. Getting extra hour of sleep is great, but it puts me up here beginning a sermon at the time you're used to be walking away and going to lunch. So thankfully, we only have a few steps to go into the gym for a free lunch in just a few minutes. I appreciate Stephen. Thank you for preaching last week in my absence. You did a great job, and I'm thankful for the way that you handled the passage. And uh, I listened to, listened to you on, as I was driving around on podcasts, going from place to place. And uh, after listening to him discuss the concept of double honor, I was in my car listening, and he was talking about double honor. Uh, to those who have served. I was visiting one of our members at a nursing home, and I had asked, is there anything I can get you? She couldn't get out of the chair where she was. We're sitting in the commons area, and I said, is there anything that I can get you? And she said, I, I would really like a glass of water. And so I walked over to the, the main desk there, and I asked if I could get a glass of water. And just as I had heard Stephen talk about double honor just a few minutes prior to that, 
This lady from behind the counter shouts out, can someone give this little man some water? <laughs> it's like, I mean, I'm standing up. I just, uh... <laughs> so I thought, you know, that's probably not exactly how Stephen described honor, but it did make me laugh and it reminded me how grateful I am to be your little pastor. So, <laughs> interesting things that happen in ministry. Well, two weeks ago, we swapped cards, tried to encourage one another, and kind of wanted to follow up on that. I've heard some really cool stories of ways that people connected and prayed for each other. Did anybody, just raise your hand in a second, did anybody have a better than expected contact? We were all dreading it, but did anybody have a better than expected contact? Would you raise your hand? Okay. So it was pretty bad. It, 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 <laughs> Did anybody receive a better than expected contact? Okay, couple. Now I have to get to the dreaded question. Did anybody not get contacted? Would you raise your hand? You turned in a card and you didn't get contacted? You know, that's really not too bad. I don't see too many hands uh, going up. And, and we had an extra bonus in there. I didn't put in a card, but I took a card. So anyway, we should have gotten everybody. But for you that didn't get contacted, we need to do better as a church. That was one of the reasons that we're doing that. And today we're going to put you first in line for lunch. So you just, if you didn't get contacted, you go first in line, okay? And I want to welcome a very special uh, participant in today's worship service. Vivian was just telling me, uh, Rick Miller. Rick, hi to you, joining us on Facebook out in El Paso. Uh, now, no longer incarcerated, a part of our Hearts for Inmates ministry here at Westgate and feels like uh, he's a part of Westgate. So Rick, we're glad to have you joining us for worship this morning. As we continue our series, Eavesdropping on Godly Counsel in 1 Timothy, we come to chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. We're going to be reminded of how we are to live as we should, living as we should. And we find in 1 Timothy 3.15, kind of the central theme of the chapter, of the, of the book, actually, that Paul says, I'm, I'm writing. And remember that he's writing Timothy with direction and guidance as to how he is to lead a church that has really come off the rails. There's been false teaching. There have been people moving in the wrong direction, uh, bad doctrine, having some conflict. And he says, so I'm writing you this so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. We are expected to live a certain way as Christians. There are standards for us that are above and beyond anyone that is not a believer. And today we're coming to the topic of the inequity of life. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, we'll read that in a second. But I regularly hear people talk about what they plan to ask God when they get to heaven. And most of those questions start with, why? So I thought it'd be helpful for us as a congregation, let's all participate here, to brainstorm for a minute on what are some of the whys we have for God? What are some of the whys that we have for God, that we want to ask God? What would they be? Maybe yours or maybe one that you've heard from somebody. Stephen's raising his hand. What a... Why did God make mosquitoes? Why did God make mosquitoes? That's your number one question when you get there. Okay. <laughs> Good, man. You don't have to raise your hand. You just... Why did God make frogs? Okay. 
eat mosquitoes. Okay, got it. There we go. So you guys don't even need to ask now. It's, it's resolved before we get there. Why do babies die? Why do bad things happen to good people? Yep. Why do bad things happen to good people? You have to say it loud. Why did sin come into the world? Good point. Why does cancer still exist? It's interesting the direction that those whys usually do go, and Bob kind of turned our attention on that. Because it's so easy for us to ask the question of why bad things have come into my life. And truthfully, I think most oftentimes we ask those why questions when it's our life. We don't spend a lot of time probing it for other people. When bad things happen to them, they just say, you know, I'm glad and thankful that's not in our family. But I thought of some whys that go along the, the way of Bob's thoughts. Why do we not ask whys like this? Why was I born in the U.S. instead of a third world country? Why was I not a part of the 150,000 people who died in the last 24 hours? Why did I get to marry someone that makes me better than I really am? That's my own personal one. Why did I grow up in a safe home? I, I, I will never forget the day that we were standing in the bathroom when I was in second grade. And a little boy named Ricky pulled down his pants to show us his legs that were completely covered in bruises and whelps. I mean, it wasn't just on one side. It was all over his legs. And I'd, I'd never seen anything and as a second grader trying to process what that meant of what his dad had done to him. Why did that not happen to me? Why do I only go hungry whenever I choose not to eat? Why do I live in a palace compared to much of the world? Why am I not Ephron? Last week, coming to the airport from the, the hotel, we picked up a lift, a lift driver picked us up, and it was interesting how God orchestrated that because uh, we were needing to get to the airport and three previous drivers were close and they were designated to come to us and then they declined to take, they didn't want to go out to the airport and so our fourth driver came by, his name was Efren. And we began to talk, very congenial man, retired. And we asked a little bit about his family. He wasn't trying to tell us all about it. Migrated from Mexico. Ten years ago, his wife suffered a very serious heart attack. Has had health issues ever since then, and now they're waiting for a liver and a kidney transplant. Medical bills beyond what most of us have for retirement. Why am I not Ephraim? Why did I have the opportunity for an education when so many in the world don't? Why am I not Abigail, Michelle, or Juancito? One of the three children that we sponsor through Compassion International. 
From time to time, I look at their picture on our refrigerator, and I just wonder, why, why is it that I'm able to send them money, Michelle and I are, and we're not the ones who are needing money to make it? Why was I told about Jesus when billions of others have never heard of him? It's interesting when we flip the question over, isn't it? The inequity of life, it's very easy to see when it occurs to us, and Paul is going to be talking about that, and I kind of wanted to set the table for this passage of Scripture because it is one that is easily and often and erroneously looked at. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1-2. through 2. And I'd love for you to listen closely to what I have to say because it would be so easy to misconstrue what is being said. Very easy for us to look at this passage of Scripture and get it wrong. All who are under the yoke of slavery. Again, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's explaining to them this is how we are to live as Christians. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Why didn't Paul say slavery shouldn't exist? Why was this passage and others chosen in the Deep South to defend slavery in America? Is Paul advocating slavery? Listen closely as we try to probe to see what this says. And I'd like for you to put aside your politically correct thoughts about social justice for a moment. And then we're gonna try to put that back in its proper place. He's talking about a church that has those who are slaves and slave owners in the same church. And there was a time in the Roman culture in which the idea was that they wanted to identify slaves as being unique. You could, you could identify them because slavery was not based upon race or ethnicity. So you would have people walking down the road and you couldn't tell the slave from the owner. They looked alike. And at one point, Rome thought we need to identify who the slaves are. And then they realized how many slaves they had. And they said, if we do that, they will realize how many there are and they might revolt. Slavery was much different. And again, this is never, 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 never hear me say any justification of slavery of any kind. Is that clear? Is that clear? I need for that to be clear because I don't want this to be misconstrued that somehow it's soft peddling slavery. But we're going to see where it fits in the context of God's worldview, the biblical worldview. When he's talking about slavery here, slavery would be very different than what we saw of the cruelty that oftentimes occurred in slavery that we know of here in America and in other countries. And slavery wasn't unique to America. It's all over the world. still is. In Roman culture, there were about 50 million slaves, about a third of the empire. And to put that in perspective, there are about 50 million slaves today 
worldwide. But slavery was based upon economic status, not race. It's where you were on the economic social status. Even slaves could have slaves. How unique is that? So some slaves had slaves. And some would sell themselves for the opportunity to become Roman citizens. You remember when Paul was being questioned by the Roman centurion in Jerusalem when he was being taken away from the mob. And he said that he was a Roman citizen. And the Roman centurion said, I paid dearly to get my Roman citizenship. Some did that. Servanthood was another type of slavery. It was a provision for, pro for poverty in which someone that is destitute would have an opportunity to get out of their impoverished state. Some were indentured, servit in, in indentured servitude, which was a temporary status, which they would earn money to either travel to a future place or to be elevated in their status. Now, what did Paul really think about slavery? As we look at that passage of Scripture, we recognize that there is an inequity to life. In Ephesians chapter 6, remember, he, he is writing to Timothy, who is a pastor of the Ephesian church. And in Ephesians chapter 6, 9, a letter that he previously wrote, he said, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. So Paul has already admonished the church at Ephesus to say, you need to treat each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ equally because God has no favorites. But if there are no favorites, why is there, is there slavery? Because the curse of sin has created an inequity of life. Even in this room, there is an inequity of life. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. What do we have in Christ? Neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ. Paul has repeatedly reminded us that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Sin came into the world. That is the reason for slavery. It's part of the curse, but it was never God's intent. Interesting, if you look back at Scripture in the Old Testament, slavery existed. But in Exodus 21, Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 15, God established a measure for people to get out of the cycle of slavery. And they were never to be treated cruelly. Every seventh year, after serving for six years, they were free to leave unless they voluntarily chose to remain. So what is Paul emphasizing here? This passage that has been twisted and justified for slavery, what was Paul saying? The inequity of life. He doesn't go and say, we need to abolish slavery. It's wrong that people are enslaved. He is emphasizing, listen carefully to what I'm saying. Paul is emphasizing personal responsibility, not personal privilege, personal rights. Now, when we think of our own lives, we have been so indoctrinated by our culture that we think more of personal rights than we do of personal responsibilities, right? 
How does it affect me? My rights are being violated. Something's being taken away. And Paul is saying, when you signed up to become a Christian, Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, you will die to self and you will follow me. He was emphasizing personal responsibility, not personal rights. And as Christians, we need to be very guarded on that. That it's not all about our rights. We must realize our responsibility to live and behave in such a way that we truly are salt and light in a culture that desperately needs that. Paul is talking about a different status, but the same posture. Different status, slave, master, but both have the same posture of submission to Jesus Christ. Was Paul defending slavery in any way? No. You remember we go back to chapter 1 and verses 9 through 10, and he puts slave traders, those that were cruel, those that would trade slaves, and they, they would look at others in an inferior way. He would put them in the same camp as murderers who would not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, it's almost ridiculous to talk about the inequity of life because we realize it's all around us, right? We live in a world that is not equal. And just as we went through those why questions from a different perspective, we realize it's not equal. And when the scales are tipped, we are way over on the positive side where we are in our, our culture and society uh, and individual lives. So as we look at all of that, we recognize that in the inequity of life, we must focus on the privilege of Christ. The world is not going to be made perfect until Christ returns. My son-in-law uh, asked me if I have any bucket list places that I want to go, and I just, I'm a pretty boring person. I, I, and my, my, my uh, response to him is the same that I've responded to many people. I'm pretty, pretty content. I don't feel like I need to travel the world. Michelle doesn't want to anyway. But my standard answer is, I'm looking to go all over the world, in the new world, in the new creation, when God makes everything new again, and the world is made as it was intended to be. And then I love and look forward to the opportunity of swimming with great white sharks at the barrier reef, and doing all kinds of things, dancing with cobras. It sounds pretty cool. But I'm going to wait. I'm not going to try any of that quite yet. The privilege of Christ is this, that we have been made right with Christ. And that's what Paul talks about in his remaining verses and why we must defend the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth of what Christ has done. See, Paul never got over the privilege that we have in Christ. That's why he began this book in chapter 1, verse 15. And he said, Jesus came to save sinners, and I am what? The chief among all. And he never got over that. Was his life fair? One of the things I tried to teach my son, Miles, growing up right over there, just a hundred yards from here, is Weston Little League. Yeah, I love Weston Little League. So glad we get to cooperate with them. But it is sad from time to time to see parents in the bleachers that just go ballistic because their kid didn't get exactly treated the way they want. 
And I would tell Miles, man, you, if he calls you on a third strike that hits the dirt, that is L-I-F-E. Life is not fair. We're not going to charge out there to the umpire. And when you don't get to start a pitcher, we're not going to go out there and rail on the coach because you're not getting to play. Life is not fair. But Paul said, it wasn't fair to me, but that doesn't matter. I've never gotten over the privilege that we have in Jesus Christ to be redeemed, to have eternal life, to know that the one that we sang about is indeed worthy. And by the way, I didn't mention this. We have some West End Little League champions in our congregation right now. Where are those guys? Two coaches and three players. Way to go, guys. And don't you know you taught those other teams that life's not fair, right? It's not. But it doesn't matter when you have Christ. You realize to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what's the calling of the church that Paul is trying to lead us to? We could very easily follow mainline denominations that focus primarily on social justice. Truth be told, mainline denominations focus only on social justice now. Jesus Christ has been removed, much like the glory of God left in Ezekiel. It's been taken away. The calling of the church is to help people come to Christ and help one another become like Christ. Our job isn't to go out there and try to stop slavery. Should we be helping? Sure we should. That's why Michelle and I give to International Justice Mission every single month. It's a cause that is fighting against human trafficking and human slavery. Yes, hear that. We give because we believe we should be doing something about it. But the calling of the church isn't to correct culture. The calling of the church is to invite people to come to Christ and then within the context of the church to help one another become like Christ. And if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, listen to what I'm about to say. Our privilege in Christ is to be a part of personal redemption which always precedes social reform. Let me say that again because I think you might want to amen. Our privilege in Christ is to be a part of personal redemption which always precedes social reform. Too many are trying to make the world better without Christ, and it never works. Once we are made right with Christ, then we should be challenged, guided, motivated, moved to try to change culture and bring about social reform. But I think you will see in the world today that social justice is given the highest virtue and it won't happen until personal redemption takes place. The evils of this world can only be overcome by and through Jesus Christ. The truth is we're all slaves. And we pause and bristle a little bit. Say, I'm not a slave. You can be a slave in a corner office of a Fortune 500 company. 
we are all slaves to something. And when we take the time to really wrestle with this passage, we will see that Jesus himself was a slave. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it said that he didn't count himself equal to be God, but he emptied himself and he became a slave so that he would die to redeem us from our sins, to free us from the bondage of sin. And that's why we end every message with a simple statement about what the gospel is about, that there are four things that everybody needs to know. First and foremost is that God loves us and he's created us to have a relationship with him. God wants us to be liberated from our sins and to be in right relationship with him. But our sin prevents us from having a relationship. We are in bondage to our sin unless Jesus Christ has liberated us. And Jesus can liberate us. Thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. And the fourth is this, we can be changed. Our status doesn't have to change. And that's what Paul was saying. Some of you will spend your entire life being a slave, he said. And some of you will be masters your entire life. But that's secondary. Are you right with God? We can be changed by humbly repenting of our sins and completely surrendering our life to Christ. Those are the four things we need to know, but there's one thing everybody must do, and that's to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to ask him to forgive us of our sins and fully surrender our life to him. So let's join together in a prayer and you just ponder what God wants you to be praying about now as we go to him. Lord, we thank you that your word directs us. We find passages like this, sometimes just they, they cause us to say, whoa, is, is, is that right? But Lord, we know how true it is that the world will never be made right without you. And our individual worlds will never be made right without you. So I pray for any of my friends in this room or listening online, that if they have never asked you to forgive them of their sins, they would see that as the greatest need of their life. People in slavery would probably say, that's the greatest need of my life. And Paul would say, I hurt for you, but your greatest need is to know Christ. So if any listening have never done that, I pray that this would be the moment in their life, that moment in their existence to say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, as Christians, there have been many times that we have prayed and said, change my situation, change my circumstances, change my status. And we're reminded from passages like this that regardless of what our status is, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situation, we can know the liberation that comes through Jesus Christ to live above our circumstances to know what it is to be content. Lord, I pray against slavery all across the world. 
My heart aches to know of the way people are being treated, 50 million people being treated in ways that are so inhumane. May you give us hearts like Wilberforce to do what we can to make a difference. And may we always remember that personal redemption precedes social reform. May we always focus on the need for Christ before we focus on the need of the moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. If God has moved in your life in such a way that you want somebody to pray with you, our deacons will be back at each one of these aisles with their wife. They'd love to pray with you. And I'll be standing over at the cross. You can meet us out at the uh, Connection Center right outside. There's a desk. Fill out this communication card. Let us know how we can minister to you and drop it off there. Let's stand together and let's sing and worship as we conclude. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. By His wounds, by His wounds we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. Punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. We are healed by your sacrifice in the life that. transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his wounds, we are He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his wounds we are healed.
can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of Jesus amen nothing but the blood of Jesus I invite you to be seated, please. Trish, would you join us up here on stage? We have a couple of presentations that we would like to make. And uh, at this time, I'm going to recognize Megan Moss as a member of the uh, adult uh, choir. Hello, I'm Megan. Um, we just wanted to express our appreciation for you guys. We got you this beautiful cross and these other little presents. And we are just so thankful for y'all. And so uh, the choir wanted to express their, uh, their gratitude uh, for your leadership and for your 10 years of service. And as a church body, we also want to express uh, our gratitude uh, for uh, 10 years of service. Uh, Warren has uh, not only become a uh, co-worker, but uh, he has become a very uh, dear friend. And uh, it's a uh, special uh, treat when you can not only uh, work with somebody, but you can call them, uh, call them your friend uh, as well. So Warren, on behalf of the congregation at... Uh, oh. <laughs> Oh, so on behalf of Westgate Memorial Baptist Church, congratulations on 10 years, and please accept this uh, monetary gift uh, uh, in honor uh, of, of your 10 years. I did prepare a few thoughts that I wanted to share with you all. Thank you for welcoming our family 10 years ago and making us feel loved and at home right away. It's hard to believe that it's been 10 years already, but then I stop and I think about the life change that has happened. Our, our children, like Raymond said, were 16 and 13 when we moved here, and now they're both married to Christ-following, God-loving spouses, and I'm grateful for that. My dad and my grandma are both now in Jesus' presence. The pastor that I served with previously for 15 years is also in Jesus' presence. And, and my mom, she moved from Bowling Green to Bossier City, Louisiana. We've experienced Hurricane Harvey together and other hurricanes that were close by to the east and to the west. We traveled that great adventure that was known as the pandemic. And I'm sure that there are many other things that I'm forgetting. Speaking of the pandemic, Jana showed me earlier this week um, our first live stream that she did with her phone right there. None of you were here. Um, it was myself and Christy and Heather here on stage, and uh, that was very interesting. We've come a long way. 
come a long way. But most of all, through these last 10 years, we've experienced God's love for us through you. Through this wonderful church we call Westgate. I'm so grateful to have my beautiful bride of 31 years by my side to help me and encourage me and support me in my ministry. The insight that she has, that she sees, and she helps me see things that I never would see on my own, and I'm truly grateful for that. And I know I wouldn't be who God wanted me to be without her. I'm grateful to my wonderful children who love the Lord with all their hearts and seek to follow him in all that they do. I'm grateful for a pastor and a ministerial staff and a church support staff that are supportive of my ministry and that give wise, godly counsel. I'm grateful for the wonderful musicians, choir, and AV crew that put so many hours in to help and encourage all of you worship in spirit and in truth. We are truly blessed with the wonderful people in the Westgate Worship Ministries. And I am truly looking forward to seeing what God has in store for us in the years ahead. We love you, Westgate. Trisha, we're going to invite you and the family to go ahead and make your way back uh, to the gym. Uh, we've got a, a great lunch uh, waiting for us uh, back there. And so you guys go ahead and make your way uh, back uh, to the gym. And while they're making their way out and give them a head start, uh, just a couple of announcements uh, for you guys. Don't forget, uh, 5 o'clock tonight here in the sanctuary, we'll be uh, presenting the uh, 2024 uh, budget. And uh, so hope that you'll be here uh, for that. But hey, if none of you show up, we'll just figure you think it's good and we'll move forward. And uh, so, no, just kidding. Uh, five o'clock tonight here in the sanctuary. Uh, and then also don't forget, if you haven't picked up an Operation Christmas Child box, you can do that. If they're all gone, which I hope they are, you remember you can do this online. Uh, you can prepare a box uh, online. Uh, so uh, grab a box or uh, prepare one uh, online. Also, there's a table full of pumpkins back here. And if your fall decorations aren't complete, feel Feel free to grab a, a pumpkin or two or three, four, uh, five or six. Uh, we need those. We need those pumpkins uh, to uh, uh, to disappear. So if you are in need of some pumpkins for your fall decoration, uh, uh, make sure uh, you grab one. Let's go ahead and let's have a blessing uh, for uh, for the lunch, and then we'll be dismissed uh, back to uh, the gym. Father, we thank you for this day and for the ability to be able to worship you, uh, Father, but also to be able to celebrate uh, what you have done here uh, through Warren and Trish and. Uh, their family. And Father, we thank you uh, for adding that piece uh, to our puzzle here uh, at Westgate. Uh, Father, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning. We thank you for uh, those that have prepared the meal and prepared this lunch uh, for us. And uh, we ask that you would bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and that, Father, we would always use our bodies to serve you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.